This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Cellmax Life believes it can transform cancer diagnostics with its affordable, non-invasive test for early cancer detection. The company says with its platform, it has been able to overcome the challenges of detecting rare circulating tumor cells in precancer and early-stage cancer patients when the disease can be successfully treated. We spoke to Atul Sharan, co-founder and CEO of Cellmax, about the challenges of liquid biopsies, how the company's technology works, and why he thinks it has the potential to change the way cancer is diagnosed today. Atul, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Danny, for having me. We're going to talk about Cellmax Life, its liquid biopsy test, and the promise to detect cancers at early stages with simple blood tests. I I thought you could begin by discussing how Cellmax came about since you were an entrepreneur with a history of building companies in in the high-tech world of Silicon Valley as opposed to the life sciences. How did you become interested in early detection in cancer? Uh, Sure. It's uh, actually quite interesting because um, about five years ago, um, you know, my wife in the Bay Area, she went through a routine mammogram and uh, she was, you know, qualified as low-risk. So it was a very routine mammogram. There was nothing to suggest that she was any any higher risk of breast cancer than average. And, you know, the mammogram was actually clean. So she got a letter from the, you know, uh, clinic saying, uh, congratulations, and, you know, come back and see us next year. By this time, you know, I was resident at a venture capital firm, and uh, a little coincidentally, uh, one of the issues we were looking at was, you know, the outcomes in cancer not having changed, you know, uh, pretty much for most cancers in the last 50 years. So I, and this is true, and I, against the advice of her uh, longtime physician, pushed her to get more imaging because I had looked at the numbers and, you know, the mammograms are great test for some women and not so great for others, and especially if you have, you know, dense tissue. Um, so she reluctantly uh, went for further imaging and uh, long and short of it is in, within two weeks, she was diagnosed with, you know, early breast cancer. Um, now, you could argue that the screening didn't work and the system didn't work, or you could argue that it did work in the context of the consumer, the patient taking control you know, of their health and decision-making. So it led us to sort of form the thesis that if, you know, and you look at the numbers, the outcomes of cancers have changed where they're simple, affordable screening tests that can detect cancer early, but where the compliance is high. And then when you start looking at the problem globally, this is even more stark. Um, the second thing I should mention, Danny, is that, you know, my mother also passed away of esophageal cancer. Um, and that was, you know, discovered 
very late stage. So the other problem you ask yourself is, why are the majority of the people in most cancers detected late stage? And the reason is that cancer is asymptomatic. So unlike even the flu, you don't have any symptoms. You know, a lot of times, for example, in colon cancer, the system will the symptom will be when the colon is actually, you know, blocking the, sorry, the tumor is blocking the colon. So it will be like an indirect symptom, right? So for something like that, it is even more important that there be, you know, an affordable, simple uh, screening test. So that was the sort of genesis of, uh, you know, getting started. And what's the problem exactly that you are trying to solve? And is there something in the approach of your platform that speaks to your engineering background? Yeah. You know, if you look at screening tests or early detection tests, they're all different modalities, right? There's like low-dose CT scan for lung cancer. There's a PSA, you know, for prostate, which is really not a, a, even a cancer marker. And there's, of course, you know, mammograms for breast and various other things. And the reason is that, you know, uh, as, as you know, which is also changing, that it's always, cancer's always been thought of as a disease of the organ when, you know, in reality, it's uh, really a disease of the genome. So one of the fundamental, and this has been known for a long time, mechanisms of metastasis is circulating tumor cells, okay? And these, it's actually very simple. Uh, nobody really dies of the primary tumor. They die of metastasis. So if you can find the primary tumor early on and resect it, that there's no debate that that's your best outcome. Now, I would I will say that there is interest in the you know medical establishment, especially in the drug companies, to to you know maybe counter that. But but nevertheless, it's it's been well known that these tumors in the very early stages they shed tumor cells into your bloodstream, and hence it's called you know circulating tumor cells or CTCs for short. And your immune system will try to kill them, but sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not. So people have known this, and people have known that if we can, via a blood test, you know, uh, detect these CTCs very early, that could be the first indication that something's wrong, and then, you know, you can figure out what to do from there. The, the problem has been it's uh, like looking for literally a needle in the haystack, right? So, um, and, and the advantage of uh, being at a venture capital firm is that, you know, you, you can get to look at all various technologies available and at least, you know, try to see which ones might work. And because of my entrepreneurial background, I was interested not just in finding the technology, but also building the company. So we looked around, you know, literally uh, all over the world to, um, to identify a technology for CTCs that would, um, you know, be able to detect cancer early. And uh, surprisingly, it was kind of in our own backyard in the Bay Area, and it was not. You know, it was almost... Uh, you know, 5,000 miles away. So there was a researcher at Stanford who had been working on uh, this problem. And uh, I think in the early 2000s, she was then invited to go back to Taiwan, where she was originally from, uh, because they had started in a very aggressive biotech program that the government was funding. It was started by their only Nobel Prize winner, Y.T. Lee. So she had started doing some um, studies with the hospital there that showed evidence of early cancer detection. So we ended up you know, basically getting the rights to that technology and, and starting the lab, you know, in Asia and in Silicon Valley. Now, regarding your other part of the question about the engineering background, so one of the things that, you know, I grew up in the semiconductor industry. I came to, you know, Silicon Valley in um, in the early 80s when there was really silicon. There was no software. Uh, I don't think the word genomics was even in, in parlance at that time. Um one of the remarkable things that the semiconductor industry has done, and when I was here, it was, you know, 
fairly manual process actually is you know driving the cost down through automation right of both you know mechanical electromechanical automation if you will you know the automation of the chemistries of the software of the chip design you know everything right which then allowed them to you know decentralize it and then manufacture it overseas and a lot of it was based on standardization so one of the philosophies was that the the assay uh, would have to be first tested to make sure it works properly and then develop with an eye to automation so that it could be automated to offer you know the test um, at affordable prices for people not familiar with liquid biopsies can you explain the idea behind them sure i think like you pointed out earlier liquid biopsy essentially is you know instead of going to the tissue you know in the tumor you instead of interrogating the tissue you get to interrogate the signals that the tumor is giving in the blood now the reason that this is very fascinating and attractive is because as people have learned over the last few years in fact not that you know quite recently the tumors are heterogeneous okay which means that um you know, for, uh, if you are going to do a biopsy on a tumor, you, there there is good likelihood that you might miss parts of the tumor that are substantially different. That's number one. Number two is, and this is the other sort of, um, well, <laughs> it's not a secret, but maybe not that well known, that when they, somebody says that they found a tumor, what you don't know as a person is that they did not find other tumors or other problems that you might have in your body. So if all of these tumors are shedding signals, let's say, for now, into the bloodstream, and you have the ability to pick up the, system, uh, the, the signals, then, you know, from an engineering background, you would call it like a systems-level thing, right? So you're getting a system-level signal from the human body as opposed to, you know, a micro point. Now, it looks attractive, but unfortunately, it's sort of been bastardized a little bit to mean just circulating tumor DNA, which is just one of the markers, and in fact, for early detection is, is is too late because it really does come, you know, from circulating tumor cells. And the reason that you will see liquid biopsy unfortunately become synonymous with ctDNA is because Illumina is a great enabler for driving NGS. Okay, so you can take a drop of blood and you can, you know, look for the circulating tumor DNA and you can sequence it. But in reality, what you need is a multi-biomarker approach, and especially for early detection. So you need to look for you know, cells, you need to look for ctDNA and you need to look for RNA, you need to look for all kinds of signals that might be, you know, in, in, in the blood and not just fixate on one of them. So a true liquid biopsy, which is what we do at Cellmax, you know, would indeed do that. Which is, which is why, sorry, which is why, which is why uh, Danny uniquely, at least we believe, uniquely allows us to do early detection. Now, you'll see a lot of liquid biopsy companies based on ctDNA that, you know, are only, um, sort of relevant in, you know, like stage four or very late stage. So in, in, in liquid biopsies, I understand them. The, the real challenge is be able, being able to identify that, that circulating tumor cell in, in a tumor large cells, volume of, yes. of, of blood. But are you looking at other things or are you finding those tumor cells? What exactly is your technology doing? Well, I mean, we, we, yeah, we're looking, so so you bring up a good point because, you know, we are looking for tumor cells and literally in one drop of blood, there's going to be like a billion cells and only maybe like five, you know, CTCs in an early disease patient, right? But the, the and you bring up a good point, which is that once you find the CTCs and the way our technology works is we can actually get these cells intact and then they can be 
you know, inter- interrogated for proteomics and, you know, uh, RNA and DNA and everything else, which actually becomes um, quite valuable for, uh, you know, not just for diagnostics, but for drug development as well. So how exactly does your platform work? So our platform, you know, the innovation is uh, sort of layered on uh, many years of work that the industry had already done on, you know, microfluidics. So we have, uh, you know, a proprietary platform which um, uses proprietary antibodies and uses the epithelial properties of cells to find these cells. So there's a lot of, I mean, you were talking earlier about the uh, sort of the high-tech world, and there's a lot of multidisciplinary um expertise that goes into this. So it's, you know, it's chemistry, it's mechanical engineering, it's chemical engineering, it's biology. And uh, we have some material innovation with which we coat these microfluidic chips, which have proprietary, um, almost nanoscale patterns on them. And the blood, you know, two milliliters of blood will flow through this chip that we prepare with these proprietary coatings and, you know, antibodies. And that will trap, you know, the circulating tumor cells of interest and then we have proprietary mechanisms to release those cells intact onto a membrane so they can be, you know, further interrogated. But they can also then be basically what's called stained using the same protocols that you would, you know, use for tissue to then identify, you know, what kind of cancer are you talking about. And we can do all of this. Um, I would submit to you at an order of magnitude less than what, you know, companies are trying to do by looking for ctDNA through ultra-deep sequencing. And what's the business model? Are you a CLIA lab? Do you sell directly to doctors, to patients? So, you know, there was an article in The Economist quite a while ago, actually Harvard Business Review, that said that the hurdle for innovation, medical innovation, to enter the market is the highest in the U.S., okay? And yet, that innovation doesn't seem to help consumers because, you know, the, the drugs and everything else, the costs seem to be going up. I forget what exact number is, but it's, you know the healthcare is one of the biggest sectors in the percentage of the GDP. So, so one of the thoughts or, or the strategies or the approaches from the beginning was to get the technology to the consumer in a timely manner and not let uh, you know that be prevented for either cost reasons or regulatory reasons. But of course, do it in a very legal manner. So. Uh, the, the, the simplest way to do it, which has been enabled, is you know through through the CLIA so lab uh, accreditation. So we are CLIA and CAP accredited lab in the U.S. and CAP accredited in in Asia, and we want to offer these tests, and we are offering these tests in Asia right now at sub you know five hundred or sub even four hundred dollars, and we want to um, enter the market in the U.S. with the CTC test this year. And, you know, we can certainly go much lower than that because we've already been automating it. So in parallel, you know, we can pursue, um, you know, insurance reimbursement and other things. And But um, we feel that we can actually get this to the consumer without waiting for, uh, you know, reimbursement because it's going to be a high, highly affordable test. You know, the model which, which, which you're seeing from, um, you know, sort of the NGS uh, uh, consumer-oriented companies is called consumer-initiated physician-mediated, right? So you, the consumer says, you know, they want the test and they are willing to pay for it because it's highly affordable, you know, sub-150, let's say, and then the, you know, physician just orders the test and because it is a clear lab and they can, you know, they can, uh, the test can be administered. Now, I can tell you that we've been more obviously active with the CTT tests in Asia where, 
we are uh, listed in a lot of the hospitals in, in some of the countries, you know, as official tests. But overall, the strategy is self-pay affordable and, you know, and be able to, you know, bring this technology to help the consumers and the patients fast to market. When I've spoken to other companies working on liquid biopsies, they, they seem to be focused on using these tests to stratify patients, make treatment decisions, and, and monitor patients for remission, uh, patients in remission for recurrence. You're looking at this as a diagnostic tool to detect cancers early. You, you've recently announced a new study supporting that use in colorectal cancer. What did it show, and, and what do you know about the accuracy of these tests? So um, let, let me get to the first question, just for completeness, which is the uh, one you're talking about on the disease side. So we, we do that too, right? So if you, again, if you look at it at a higher level, if you can detect the extremely low signal, difficult problem in early detection, then you can certainly apply the same technology for, you know, minimal residual disease monitoring, recurrence, and, and we do that as well, right? And and with the circulating tumor DNA, like you're talking about, a lot of these companies talk about, you know, very late stage patients and trying to do therapy selection, even though I will, uh, you know, caveat enter that less than probably 5% of the time they're really actionable, you know, with drugs that actually work. But, you know, we offer those tests too. I think, uh, uh, you know, the real challenge is, um, you know, because at, at, on the disease side, you know, the signal is, is high. Uh, so we announced the colorectal cancer, and in fact, we will be announcing, or uh, we will be presenting at the ASCO, or at least our uh, collaborator will be presenting at ASCO GEU in February in San Francisco, where we will show results of the same uh, platform uh, for prostate cancer. You know, so so not to digress, but the, the problem, actually, PSA has done a great job, even though it's much maligned, because it is a cheap, affordable test, and the compliance is high. However, for, uh, you know, men who have PSA levels between 4 to 10, maybe even 3 to 10, um, there's a lot of, you know, false biopsies, like, you know, numbers could be 4 out of 5 or 1 out of 8. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, the PSA gives a false signal, so you end up getting a biopsy when you didn't need one. And, and the biopsies in the prostate, quite honestly, can sometimes be worse than the cancer itself, right, because they come with a lot of complications. So there's a lot of motivation to, to find a test in that range that would be highly sensitive. And again, the, you know, the PTC markers in our study have been, you know, highly sensitive. So one of the things I'd like to point out is that the, the, the compelling aspect of this platform is that once you can pick up the low number of CTCs, then it is, um, you know, applicable to all tumor cancers, and we've already started studies on breast cancer, et cetera, because it's the same mechanism. You know, you're not looking at a fundamentally different technology to, you know, find these signals in various tumor cancers. Tell me about the colorectal cancer study, though, and what it showed and, and how accurate the test was. So the, the overall accuracy of the test is in the in the high 80s. It's, it's, again, a simple blood test, but the key finding was the ability to detect early stage cancer and pre-cancer lesions. And, you know, as far as we know, the um, the fact that it's a blood test and, and, and doesn't look like there's anything else out there, and it's higher uh, in accuracy than comparable stool tests, uh, both for early stage as well as, you know, more importantly for, you know, pre-cancerous, right? So, so the results of uh, that study were, you know, uh, very exciting. You know, we're 
we're continuing the studies and you know we're going to do a study in the u.s this or studies in the u.s this year as well and why colorectal cancer what makes that an attractive target for this technology well so like i said to you that the the uh you know the effort started out originally a few years ago you know in taiwan and uh so this is a very interesting statistic and i think it's very informative that in taiwan colorectal cancer has been the number one cancer for the last 15, 20 years, as long as they've been sort of tracking it. And nobody, as, as, as with most things in cancer, nobody really knows why. And, and the reason, Danny, that this is important is because it's very instructive in general. You know, Taiwan is a small country of, you know, 20 million people, so we get to work very closely, you know, with their high-end hospitals. But they also have the best sort of socialized medicine in Southeast Asia, right? So the literally the colonoscopies, the stool tests, for the most part, are free, are highly, highly affordable and cheap. And even then, okay, the, the colorectal cancer uh, goes up every year and has been the number one cancer. And more importantly, the compliance with stool test testing and colonoscopy is less than 33%. And the reason is, you know, most people are reluctant to take a colonoscopy and, you know, equally or more reluctant to do a stool test. So it goes back to the comment on compliance. So, so, so for as, as, as a starting point, it seemed to be, you know, uh, there was a lot of motivation in the hospitals there to look at colorectal cancer. And if successful, how might this tra- change the way that people are screened for colorectal cancer? Well, you know, as as as, as a uh, you know innovative company, our answer is, you know, that people keep doing what they're doing, but they also take you know, this blood test. Now, um, I can tell you again, you know, maybe anecdotally, but of course the numbers are there too, that when you talk to people about taking colonoscopy, which is, you know, the uh, sort of screening test. And the reason, by the way, colonoscopy works as a screening test is because colorectal cancer is relatively speaking a slow-growing cancer. And therefore, you know, the theory is that if you if you monitor it every, you know, let's say seven, five to seven years, you know, you're, you're going to be okay. But, but the reality is that that, is is not the case, right? So, if uh, we don't recommend people stop doing what they're doing, but they also start taking a simple blood test, and depending on their own assessment of the risk, an affordable blood test, they can take it every year, they can take it every six months, or they can take it every eighteen months. So, it, it makes it a very convenient um, additional, you know, signal or indicator. And you know, if the test is positive, then they would be referred to take a diagnostic colonoscopy. And they would be, in our opinion, more motivated to take a colonoscopy and more likely to be found earlier. And what's the regulatory path approval? Do you need to do additional validation? Do you need to get some kind of FDA sign-off? Well, technically, the 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 um, you know the only uh, to to offer the test in the U.S. we we really just need a clear, and then it becomes a question of affordability. But we are automating the instrument for CTC, and we do intend to decentralize it and have, you know, partners, you know, in the U.S. and, and all over the world. So we will be looking downstream at, at you know, 510K for the instrument. But we, like I said before, we don't want uh, all of those things to uh, prevent the test from getting to the market. And the key issue really more than regulatory, which we can do with CLIA, is affordability, right? So the reason a lot of these tests get stuck is because, you know, they have to wait for insurance reimbursement, which takes a long time. and we. The price points we want to come in at, we won't need that. And what kind of price point are you at relative to other types of liquid biopsies? 
Well, so again, I'll separate the liquid biopsies on the disease side, okay, where, like I pointed out, you have to do ultra deep sequencing because you're using ctDNA and, you know, it can be thousands and thousands of dollars and it is. On, 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 on the early detection side with our proprietary CTC platform, you know, our goal is, you know, by the end of the year to be at sub $150. And looking ahead, what does the the rest of your your pipeline look like? So, you know, on the early detection side, clearly, you know, we're we're excited with the capabilities of the platform, and we want we are extending it, and we want to accelerate that into other, you know, tumor cancers like, you know, um, uh, prostate, which I discussed earlier, and and you know, breast cancer and and lung cancer. Um, I think there's also going to be interest for this platform to be used, you know, by pharma companies. And uh, as I pointed out, um, you know, we already are uh, selling our tests across the board in, you know, about 20 countries. You know, it's not, you know, huge volumes. But so we want to be a global company. We think we understand, especially Asia, very well, where there's, you know, 4.4 or 4.5 billion out of the 7.3 billion people in the world. And it's a different dynamic there. And, uh, you know, on, on price points. So uh, for completeness, we offer, uh, for example, the hereditary cancer DNA risk test, which I will submit to you is the broadest sort of panel in the industry at the lowest cost. And on the disease side, you know, we offer, like you were saying, the monitoring test. Now, on the monitoring, I will say one more thing, Danny, that, you know, again, these liquid biopsies based on CTDNA that cost like $6,000, you cannot, you know, you cannot... The system, forget the patient, the system cannot afford those tests to be used for monitoring of recurrence, you know, every three months or every six months. I mean, you know, the whole thing will go bankrupt, right? So, but, you know, with the CTC is using the same platform, essentially the same technology. And, you know, we, we, we can do what's called a pan cancer monitor test again for a few hundred, you know, dollars that can be used as an additional signal for monitoring for recurrence. So, you know, we, we, we also want to do the longitudinal data collection from People that come in, you know, take the blood test to know if they are at a higher risk of cancer. And then, of course, the disease detection with the CTC tests we're talking about. And, you know, and then downstream, unfortunately, if they do get cancer. Atul Sharan, co-founder and CEO of Cellmax. Atul, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.